I'm Bishop Sherman Young. Each week, the Word Break podcast answers questions about God, faith, and other spiritual issues. Here is this week's message. 91-92, and then digital natives, those born 2003. I'd like to continue that today in the series, Dare the Dream. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you today as we come before the word of God. We have no judgment for the word. The word finds us. And the word instructs us, prepares us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Let your will be done today, we pray. Anoint every ear to hear, every heart to receive. Anoint us to grow in Jesus' name. And all the church will say amen. Amen. Next month, I'll be speaking to women uh, from the series titled Wise Woman, uh, with Mother's Day being in the heart of next month. The month of June, men (coughs) who would be mighty, the series is entitled God's Man. I want to close out my talks to younger people today from the subject, do you love me? Do you love me? John 21. Of course, we recognize the Bible saying God is love, and we understand that without love, life doesn't work. It is one of those things that you just can't live without. There has to be love. We look at the crime rate, we look at the growth of gang activity and uh, criminal activity in our community and we don't associate it with a lack of a good home life like we should. The reason why there are gangs is because that becomes a type of surrogate family for young people that don't necessarily feel a strong bond at home. That is not to say that every gang member does not have love in the home, but certainly statistics show that where there is a lack of love, that there is high crime, There's a lot of problems in the schools. There's a lot of rebellion with students. And so much of it can be traced directly to the love relationship in the family. Children often act out at school because that's the only place where they can really act out. And so I want to talk about love for a few minutes today in the shortest sermon of the series. And I'd like for you to look with me at John 21, 17. Now, leading up to the 17th verse, you will remember that Jesus, resurrected from the dead, meets his disciples on the sea. And there he has prepared fish for them in a skillet. And the word of the Lord says that after they had dined, he talks to Peter, and he says to Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, you remember that goes on three rounds. Yes, Lord, I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, second time. 
feed my lambs. This is the third time. This verse is the third time, and you have it before you in the New International Version. Would you read it with me, please? This one verse, John 21, 17. Let's read it with good voices. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, <clears throat> you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, let me read it to you again with a little paraphrase. The third time Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, which is also John, do you love me? Oh, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. Don't you know that I love you? Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Jesus spoke in Aramaic. So we have three languages to deal with. We have the Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek, and Jesus talking in Aramaic. So when we translate the New Testament to English, the English language is not very good. It's very young and underdeveloped even to this day. Therefore, we have words that we have to use that have different meanings, and you have to look at the context to see exactly what that word is talking about. For example, let's take something simple. What does the word R-E-A-D spell? Read? Well, I saw it once, and we pronounced it read. It would say, I will read a book, or I have read the book, both R-E-A-D. Is that right? Well, if R-E-A-D spells red, what does R-E-D spell? You see the problem. The problem is that in our language, we take one word and we use it for different things. The word love is that way. A person can say to another person, I love you. And they don't mean the same thing they mean when they say it to another person the same day. So a wife will say to her husband, I love you. But that same wife will say to her mother, I love you. Or that same wife will say to their child, I love you. And the love is different in every case. But the only word that we have to work with is the word love. So when you see it here in John 21, we have to qualify what kind of love are we talking about. The reason why there is this exchange in John 21, three times, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you, feed my lamb. Third time, do you love me? Jesus is not saying the same thing that Peter is saying in Aramaic and in Greek. They're not saying the same thing at all. That's why he asked him three times. Do you love me? He is not asking him three times because he's challenging the love. 
He's asking him three times because when Jesus says to him, do you love me? The love that Peter is saying that he has for Jesus is not the same kind of love. So here we go. In the ancient Greek language, there are six words that are translated love in English. What is love? Well, there's the word eros. Can you say eros? Now that love is sexual passion. Sexual passion. Then there is the word philia. Can you say philia? Now that word is deep friendship. Now both words are translated love. So a woman will say to her husband, I love you. That is eros. But she will say to her best friend, getting off the phone, yeah, I love you. Well, she doesn't mean the same love that she meant for her husband. She means philia, friendship. Then there is ludus, or playful love. Then there is agape, which is fatherly love. It's God's love for everyone. It is a protective and providing love. Then there is pragma. Would you say pragma? That's a long-standing love, which means I've loved them, loved them a long time. I haven't talked to them in years, but I still love them. There is philusia, which is love of the self. So when I say I love myself, I'm not using the same word as when I say I love my, my wife or I love my friend or I love my child or I have a long-standing love for an old friend or an auntie. You see, the English language is so short, and it runs, it runs so short that when we hear somebody say, I love you, we often get it confused. So a couple can be dating, and one can say to the other, I love you, and the other one can say back, I love you, but they ain't talking about the same love. And then later on in the relationship, one will question the other one and say, you said you love me. And then they'll answer back, yeah, but I didn't say I was in love with you. I'll get a witness in a minute. You see, we have a communication problem. And the communication problem often trips us up when it comes to planning for the future. Because we hear what we want to hear. We read into things what we want to see, and we define it according to our own personal need. And as human beings, we mistakenly measure success in life by eros and philia more than we do agape. So those are the three categories that really get our attention. That we say, well, I want somebody to love me. For me, well, you don't mean agape. You actually are probably talking about eros. You want to be romantically tied to someone. You want a romantic relationship with someone. Well, you can't define your life by eros because the truth is you can eros many people in your lifetime. I know that there are some that would say, well, I don't think you can love but one person in your whole life. And that, you know, that's, your, that's the love of your life. Well, that's nice to say. 
But the truth is, eros can turn on and eros can turn off. Then some people say, well, I don't think you can love more than one person at the time. That sounds cute too. But the truth is, there is no limit on eros. You can romantically link yourself up with as many folk as you want to, depending on what you think you can handle. I'll get a witness in a minute. You see, we like to mix it all up and then say, no, this is what love is. But the truth is, there's more than one type of love. And when you talk about eros, if you define success in your life by who you love, who you used to love, or who you want to love, you'll never be successful. You can fall in eros at 15 years old. By 17, just know that's the person you're going to spend your whole life with. And by 21, not even know where they live anymore. Eros can get you in trouble. I wish I had a witness. Eros can cause you to give up all your hopes, all your dreams, all your educational pursuits, all of your career pursuits. It'll cause you to give up everything just because of this special person. And you think that Eros is everlasting, but I got news for you. Eros can die. Eros can change. You don't have to say amen. If you just say, ouch, it'll be all right. The truth is there's hardly an adult in this room that cannot stand right here in front of this crowd and say, yeah, Eros changed on me. I did love them once upon a time. Or I was involved with them once upon a time, but because of the way they treated me or because of the changes that they went through or the changes they put me through, I canceled that love. And then, of course, philia is important to us. How many friends do we have? So our social media contact has taken one of the most intimate words there is in humanity and reduced it to just a digital acquaintance. I have 2,000 friends when the truth is probably three of them are actually friends of yours. And the others are just people that you see online. But we reduce friendship to something that it should not be. The Bible said there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You know what that actually means? That if there's a real friendship, it's often closer than blood relationship. There's some stuff you'll tell your friend you won't tell your sister. There's some stuff you'll open up to and tell your friends you would not tell your brother. You wouldn't tell a relative because you know it's probably going to come up again at the family reunion. I wish I, I wish I could be heard. But true friendship True friendship is that which you can open up and confide in a person and they will judge you if necessary. Let me try that again. Because there's a word out that if you're really friends with me, you won't judge me. But the truth is, if I'm going down the wrong road and you're really my friend, you're going to caution me. You're going to do all you can to stop me. You will even put our friendship on the line. And risk that I won't speak to you for the next 90 days if you know you need to warn me of some oncoming danger. Listen, a friend is not a friend that won't tell you the truth. Let me try that again. Too many times we're looking for support and not truth. 
Too many times we want somebody to support my position because I'm passionate about it, not understanding that when you get so caught up in a thing, you can't see the forest for the trees. And you won't see the best result because you're so busy looking for somebody to support you. Filial is important. We need filial. Reach over, touch somebody and say, get you a friend. Uh-uh, tell them better than that. Said, get to, make you a friend. Because let, you won't make it through this life without some friends. Friends are the ones that connect you to the next level in your life. They can connect you to the right career choice, the right job opportunity. They can correct, they can connect you to your, your husband or your wife that will be with you for the rest of your life. Now I know, here we go again, I'm meddling again. I know we live in a time when we find our dates online. But nothing beats a good friend turning you on to a good person. Let me try that again. I wish I had a witness. Because your friend will vet that person for you. They will check them out. Before they get y'all together on a blind date or give you the phone number, they will do a little background check and make sure that that's the right person for you. You on the line.com and, and drawing people in, you don't know what you're getting. You only know what they put online. And listen, if I am dangerous, am I going to put that online? If I am a rapist, am I going to put that online? If I am looking for a mother with small children because I have a sexual fetish for children, am I going to put that online? If I am, if I am somebody that has done destructive things in my life or addicted to drugs or addicted to some other form of pornography or some perversion, am I going to advertise that? So I got to be careful. I wish I could find a witness in this church. I got to be careful that when I'm on the dating circuit that I know what I'm getting myself into. So I don't want them to pick me up at home because I don't need them to know where I live. I'll just see you at Starbucks. I'll get a witness in a minute. Or we'll just meet at Panera Bread, you know, and, you, and, and we won't ride together. We'll just meet at the restaurant. But I don't want you to know where I live because I don't know what kind of fool you might be. And I don't know what kind of risk I'm taking or I don't know what I'm exposing my children to. I wish I could get a witness. We trust people too easily. And just because they're cute, help me somebody, just because they're tall, just because he's bow-legged, just because he's fine, just because she look good, don't mean that I need to risk my life and my health with that person. But if I could just get me a friend that could turn me on to a friend of theirs, my friend will help me check them out. And I can say to my friend, what kind of a guy is he? And my friend said, you know, he's pretty good. He had some problems, but I, I've been watching him. And, and, and all that I can tell right now, he's turned over a new leaf. I don't have a witness here. Or if I meet somebody and run it by my friend, they say, oh, don't fool with him. He's a dog. Now, our problem is we care more about eros and philia than we do about agape. And that's what gets us in trouble. Here's what's up, church. Young people, here's what's up. When they're going through this back and forth, 
Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. They ain't agreeing. Here's what, in Greek, here's what he's saying. Peter, do you agape me? And Peter said, yeah, Lord, I filial you. That's why he kept asking him. The second time Jesus said, Peter, do you agape me? He said, hey, Lord, I filial you. What's up with that? Jesus is saying, do you love me enough to protect me? Do you love me like God loves me to care for me? Peter was saying, oh, no, I'm not going to even let you back me in that corner. I love you like a friend or I love you like a brother. Now, the reason that was going on is because, you know, they haven't talked really since Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. So Peter had some idea that Jesus was bringing up the fact that when I needed you, you walked away from me. Anybody ever had a friend like that? They say, I'm your friend through thick and thin, and when things get thick, they thin out on you. Anybody ever had a friend like that? You needed them to speak up for you in a group where they were talking down about you, and all they did was stand there and smile. The truth is, if you're my friend, I trust you to have my back. I wish I had a witness. I trust you to speak up for me when others are telling lies about me. I don't expect you to listen to the lie, hold on to it, and then report to me. I expect you to defend my honor. Help me, somebody. And Jesus is saying to Peter, if you love me like you ought to love me, would you protect my name? And Peter said, no, I'm not going to lie about it. I love you like a brother. I do not love you like a father. And church, in too many cases, we settle for eros and filio when we need to understand God's love. Would you just say that, please? God's. If nobody else loves me, God loves me. And God loves me with all the mess and all the junk in my life. Let me try that again. Folk love us conditionally. Folk love us, you know, based on whether they can get something back out of it sometime. But God loves me, period. Let me try that again. I'm really looking for a witness because I think that we need to get reacquainted with the love of God. We're so concerned about whether God's going to bless me with a house, a car, and a job that we forget that God loves you when you're poor, broken outdoors. That God's love is not based on what he does for me. His love is because I belong to him. And the love of God, if God treated me the way I treated him, I probably wouldn't even be here today. But he loves me. Can you say that? He loves me. Uh-uh. I need you to say it right. He loves lying me. He loves crooked me. He loves cheating me. He loves backstabbing me. I, was, I want you to say it the right way. Don't say he loves me like you're lovable. You talk about you want somebody to love you for you. Well, that ain't nobody but God. Because whenever we look for eros or filio, whenever we look for romantic love or friendship love, we always hide the bad stuff and sweep the dirt under the rug. The truth is, a lot of folk that love you as a friend, if they knew some stuff about you, would have left you a long time ago. But how many know we're good at hiding the truth? 
I don't have a witness here. How many know that we're good at deceit and God loves us anyway? And what we've got to learn to do, brothers and sisters, is to live a life that's accountable to those who really love us. So when you feel unloved, it brings on several things. Number one, frustration. Some of you work with people on your job. It's like they're frustrated all the time. Check it out. There may be a lack of love or the awareness of love in their life. When young people feel unloved, it's a sense of frustration. Therefore, they won't be their best. They won't give their best, and they won't perform their best. When we feel unloved, it can bring self-pity. You feel sorry all the time, sorry for yourself. Feeling unloved brings loneliness, and you end up going from bed to bed and person to person because you're lonely, because there is no true depth and satisfaction in your life. Being unloved can make you indifferent. Can you say indifferent? Nobody can get along with you. I mean, you, when we meet you, we don't know whether to laugh or run because you don't have the love question answered. It can bring resentment. You can see other folk with love and you get mad and jealous over them. I wish I had a witness. You can see some people getting along and you'll throw a monkey wrench in the relationship because you resent what you see in others. It can bring jealousy. Where does jealousy come from? The insecurity that is the result of a lack of feeling secure in love. Jealousy is not anger. Jealousy is not fear. It's not its own emotion. It's a mixture of emotions. There's anger in jealousy. There is fear in jealousy. There's insecurity in jealousy. A jealous person is a dangerous person. Let me say it again. I said a jealous person is a dangerous person. Let me try it again. A jealous person is a violent person. If you're involved with a jealous person, get ready. After a while, there's going to be an explosion. And it's going to be an explosion you don't welcome. Fear is often the result when we sense being unloved. Here's some checkpoints we need to look at checkpoints. First of all, be fully convinced of God's agape for you. Be fully, fully convinced. As I stand here and preach to you today, I am 100% sure of God's love for me. Are you sure of God's love for you? Don't be one of these people that says that God loves you when things are going your way. Well, I know God gave me favor. I know that God loved me because I, I got that car I've been trying to get. I finally got that job. I finally got that house. Listen, God loves you when you don't have a car. When your car is in the shop and you don't know how you're going to pay for it to get it out. The love of God is consistent. Do I have a witness? The love of God is constant. Do I have a witness? The love of God is unchangeable. Do I have a witness? We're raising a generation of people in church that says, if God loved me, my life would be going better. No, God loves me, period. Now, there may be some adjustments I need to make. There may be some things I need to change. There may be some things that I need to handle, but God's love is unquestionable. He loves us. Are you convinced of that? Are you? Convinced of that? 
when the doctor walks out of the room and says, we can't help you, do you still believe that God loves you? When you're, when, when you're hurting so bad in your body and every breath seems like it's your last breath, are you convinced that God loves you? When your month outlasts your money and you don't have enough money to buy chicken to fry, are you still convinced that God loves you? Honey, God doesn't just love you when you're feeling good. God loves you when you're confused. God loves you when you're crying yourself to sleep at night. God loves you when you don't feel like getting out of the bed in the morning. God loves you when you're so depressed you don't feel like pouring cereal for your family. God still loves us. So be fully convinced. Everybody, can I get you to say, I am fully convinced that God loves me. Because number two, Satan, Satan manipulates you when you're hurting from little filio and eros and causes you to deny agape. What does that mean? It means that when I ain't got no good friends and when I don't have nobody to love me in my life in a relationship, I tend to let the devil make me feel like God is against me. Especially nowadays when we have so many prayer requests of people that want to be married. Funny, in so many cases, single people want to be married and married people want to be single. I'll get a witness around here in a minute. And there are a lot of prayer requests come in. Now, we usually get the prayer requests in churches that say, I want a mate or I want to be married. We don't hardly ever get any from the married folks saying I want to be single. That would be kind of weird. But under the sound of my voice today, there are many, there are dozens, dozens of people here that want that person. And the devil takes advantage of that with a lot of false advertising. First of all, he's put this idea out there that there is a soulmate for you. So everybody's got a soulmate. Or everyone has someone that is especially for them that God made for them. That is not the truth. There is no soulmate. First of all, if there is a soulmate, you seem to be saying that y'all must live in the same town or else how you going to meet them? Or maybe they're in prison because they broke the law. How you going to meet them? Or maybe they got killed in Afghanistan in the war. So there is no such thing as a soulmate. There's probably hundreds, maybe thousands of folk you can get along with. Not just one. And then what if when you meet that one, y'all don't connect right? You say, well, that's what it is. It's a soulmate. No, babe, that's a fairy tale. No, that. There is, no, there is no one person. What if they don't want you? Or what if you're the wrong sex for them to want? See, we have to be careful how we listen to all of this pop culture talk. 
No. No. That's just one of the many things that I hear today. And people say, well, isn't it true that if you want somebody, God will give you somebody? I can't find evidence of that in the Bible. And the only way that I know God is through the word. Do you know another way to know him? The word never teaches that. The word never teaches that because I have the desire in my heart that that's going to be an answer that comes along. At the same time, the word doesn't deny it. So, if that is your faith, so be it. Believe it. But don't have a crisis in faith because you're getting older. Oh, boy. I knew you all would shout off of this. The ushers need to get ready. They're going to be running out the door in a minute. We live in a world and we are black people. Did I just say that? And there's been a conspiracy against the black family for decades. I don't have a witness here. You see, the other week, we, sell, we, we remembered Dr. Martin Luther King, the 50th anniversary of, his, of the shooting of Martin Luther King. The FBI immediately said after then, we will never let another black leader get to the level of prominence as Martin Luther King Jr. That was in the J. Edgar Hoover administration. Beyond that, something happened that they began to mess with our family life. Drugs got in our community. And we wasn't bringing them in. Somebody was putting drugs on the street. I don't have a witness in our community. Look, look, at, look at the number of black men in prison in comparison to the number of white men in prison. And look at how many of our men are gone from us. I don't have a witness. Look at the black shootings. Now, tell me if something is wrong with me, but down in Florida a few weeks ago, that boy shot up a school, killed 17 people, and they arrested him. In Sacramento, the boy pulled his cell phone out of his belt, and they shot him. Oh, I don't have a witness here. Now, don't you know something is wrong with that? Now, how is it that you can apprehend the white boys, but you shoot down the black boys? And how is it that you want to demand that black people get in their place and be quiet and don't protest in the street because y'all ought to be more satisfied than you are? What? They're killing our young men. Well, when you kill young men, you kill seed. I don't have a witness here. Because if two black women get married, they still can't make a baby. I don't have any help around here. Listen, you have companionship, but you don't have the model that God left in order to reproduce. And if we can't reproduce, we can't repopulate. I don't have any help. That all I'm telling you, there's a conspiracy to get rid of our men. So, sister, you keep hope alive here. Believe for what you believe for. But remember that God loves you. And lastly, we have to 
remember to forgive whoever hurt us. Let me get through and I'm ready to go. There's some love points I want to give you. Jesus knew that Peter felt unloved. And so he initiated the conversation. Do you love me? Now check it out. Listen to what he asked him. He didn't ask him, do you think that I love you? But that's really the question. Okay, come on with me now. Y'all walk with me a little bit. See, sometimes when we're talking to young people, we ask the wrong question. Do you love me? Do you think I love you? Do you think I love you? Do you think I love you? The real question is, do you love me? Because love begets love. Do you love me? Yes, well, I love you. He didn't say, Peter, do you think I love you? He, no. He said, Peter, do you love me? Why? Because he knew that Peter felt that Jesus didn't love him. So we got to open up the conversation. We got to learn to communicate. Huh? Help us, Lord. We have to learn to communicate. Communicate doesn't mean gripe, grumble, or complain. Communicate doesn't mean, well, I got to get my point across. Communicate doesn't, doesn't mean be hostile. If we're going to initiate a conversation, we got to take the low way into the conversation. Peter, do you love me more than these? But secondly, Jesus, knowing that, know, knowing that Peter felt unloved, blessed him with fish. He gave him something. Before the conversation began. He gave him something. Before the conversation began. When we deal with children. And grandchildren. And I'm no expert. We have to remember that the love in the home. Is foundational to everything else. And there has to be communication. Are you hearing me? We live in a world where. We've thrown communication away, basically. And in too many homes, we give gifts instead of communication. I'm going to prove to you that I love you because I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff. So I'm going to give you the newest smartphone. I'm going to give you the newest tablet. I'm going to give you the newest lap uh, laptop. I'm going to give you the internet. I'm going to give you and give you and give you. But listen. This whole meeting between Jesus and Peter was tied up together in that Jesus knew that Peter had a problem. He blessed him with fish and then he fed him his own his cooking. Jesus cooked for Peter. And then the dialogue. Somebody say communication. Communication is important. It's important wherever there is love Love is always love is always wrapped in communication. Are we communicating? And so in order to do that, he sat down with Peter. Now this is Jesus. He don't need Peter. <laughs> Peter needs him. But he sat down with Peter. This is Jesus. Jesus can run his ministry. He can run the church without Peter. But he sat down with Peter. He sat down with Peter. How much time are we spending now as families? How much time do we spend? You know how it is now. Everybody gets their food in the kitchen and then goes to their own room. How much time do we spend? 
How much time do we spend conversing? How much time do we spend talking about things that aren't necessarily about business or education? How much time do we spend? We live in a busy culture. I can thank God for one thing in my life, and everybody can't say this, especially nowadays. When I left home in the morning for school, my mother saw me off. And when I got back home in the evening, she welcomed me in. I didn't have to wait until she got off to get home. She was there when I got there. Now, this is a different world now, and we've got different challenges now. But we still somewhere along the line have to make the time to sit down together. We still have to find the time. If it's when you get off, if it's before you go to work, if it's in between shifts, we still got to find the time. Statistics show that most of us spend less than one hour per day with children because things are so busy now. Does anybody know what I'm saying? And then we have to be careful that we're not nurturing our electronic devices more than we are our children. I wish I had a witness now. We have to be careful that we don't spend more time on the phone than we spend sitting down with the children. It's so easy to get addicted to the smartphone, to the internet, huh? It's so easy to get addicted to that. But listen, while we're doing that, we got to remember Satan is on the prowl. And Satan is reaching for our young people through drugs, through uh, perversions, through other things that will get their attention and attract them away from your teaching. So we've got to be careful that we do like Jesus and sit down, sit down and communicate. Here's the last thing that shows the love. Jesus gave Peter another chance. He said, if you love me, feed my sheep. I got to tell you the truth. If it were me, I probably would have never trusted Peter again. Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter ran away, said he didn't know him. But Jesus gave Peter another chance. Listen, love will often cause you to give somebody another chance. I don't know where I would be if God hadn't have given me another chance. I don't know where you would be if God hadn't given you another chance. It's important that we recognize genuineness when we see it. Now, some folk will try to jive you. Some folk will try to fool you. But listen, if you ask the Lord to give you wisdom, you can tell when somebody deserves a second chance. Everybody don't always deserve a second chance, but thank God that's what grace is all about. God will give you a second chance. And when it comes to our children, they need a second chance because sometimes it's not what they're doing, it's what we're doing and it's what we're not doing. But I want to thank God for a second chance. You know, as a young person, I messed up. I messed up. I went to church every Sunday, but I messed up. I went to Crusader meeting every month, but I messed up. I sang in two choirs, but I messed up. 
I became a Sunday school teacher at 16 years old. But I messed up. Being young, you're going to mess up. There is no such thing as a perfect teenager. They're going to mess up. You can read the Bible to them all day and all night. As soon as you turn your back, they're going to mess up. Don't throw me away because I messed up. Don't stop talking to me because I messed up. Don't, don't treat me cold and mean because I messed up. Because if you do that, I'm going to find love somewhere else. I'm going to get hooked into the wrong crowd. I'm going to start having sex with other students. I'm going to get involved in the wrong activity. I don't need mama to throw me away. I don't need daddy to throw me away. I need somebody to love me. I need somebody to talk to me. I need somebody to let me know they did wrong too. But God brought them through. And if God brought you through, I know he can bring me through. I don't need to be thrown away. I don't need to be ignored. I don't need to be left out. I don't need to be left behind. Don't give up on me. I'm through, but don't, but listen at the children now. Don't give up on me. Hallelujah. Because God will give me a second chance. That's the kind of love I need. I need a second chance love. I need a love that won't hold my mistakes against me, but will keep on praying for me and will keep on interceding and will keep on encouraging me and will keep on walking with me. Stand up, I'm done. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You need to put your arms around your children. I know what's wrong. You don't see in them what you want to see, but you got to recognize God ain't through with them yet. He's still working on them. He's still raising them up. He's still maturing them. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus.